Hey, Hills Church, it is great to be with you. My name is Taylor Walling. I'm on the teaching team here. I want to welcome everybody who's live at one of our campuses or if you're joining us online or later on podcast. Now, if you are on podcast, then you can't see me. So you don't know that I'm sitting down. I have a boot and that while that video bumper was rolling, I actually rolled out here from the back. And 1130, uh, I could hear you snickering at me, okay? Just FYI. Uh, But this is a place of grace, so I love you. Uh, I'm going to open this message with a little bit of personal news. Uh, I'm very excited to tell you that earlier this month, uh, my wife and I celebrated the birth of uh, our daughter, Imogen Rose Walling. So just wanted to get to share that with you real quick. I know... um, yeah, we're, we're overjoyed and uh, baby's healthy, mom is healthy, it's awesome, and, uh, and her big brother Finn, who is three, is, you know, figuring it out. He sort of is working through it, because he went to bed not knowing that mom was going into labor, woke up, and it was like Christmas morning, if all your Christmas toys stole half your inheritance and your parents' attention. So... Uh, he's working through it, but he loves his baby sister. Hey, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John chapter three, third chapter of the book of John. Uh, that's the fourth gospel. So as you're turning through, if you've got a hard copy and you get, you get to names that you recognize, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, there's John right there. Third chapter is where I want you to turn as we continue this series called Kingdom Come. If you're brand new with us, this is actually the perfect series for you to be here because we are talking about core principles of the Christian faith. So if you're exploring God, if you want to know more about Jesus, we're talking about why he came to earth. What kind of a kingdom was he bringing? What was his message about this kingdom of God that Jesus talked about over and over again? And as he talked about himself, he he was really talking about this new way of life and this new kingdom that he was bringing. And These are central things that I look forward to teaching my daughter as she grows up. And at the same time, I recognize that when she and I have to process a topic like today's topic, there is great potential for confusion. So we live in a world that takes potential contradictions and turns it into confusion. Uh, That happens even outside of the Christian faith. And so as an example, I'm thinking about the next year that we're about to head into with the political campaigns that are already in motion. And we're going to see a lot of attack ads where people will, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll have a candidate's quote. And then a few months later, they'll have another quote from the same type, the same candidate that seemed to contradict each other as a way to create confusion and tear down that person. You can do this. It's actually pretty easy to do this. I was thinking about it and I thought, I'd give you an example and I'm going to use somebody on our staff, uh, Friendly Fire. So I was just looked at our staff directory, started with last name A, Ashley, that's Rick Ashley, our senior teaching pastor. So I picked him um, alphabetically. It was the Lord's will. So... I started digging up, you know, looking for some quotes, and I found this quote. This is from a sermon in August 2015. Rick actually is quoted as saying, I never dance in public. And I thought, oh, okay. So then started digging up some more. I want you to watch this video so you understand. We have some, some video evidence. I want you to hear the quote from Rick first. I never dance in public. I never dance in public. Oh, Really? This message brought to you by the other teaching pastor at the Hills Church. Uh, (laughs) 
okay, so if you're wondering, where in the world did you get that footage? So uh, 2013, there was this weird thing that went viral called the Harlem Shake. And uh, the Hill staff actually did a version of it, and they somehow convinced Rick to take part, which is why that still exists today on the internet, much to Rick's chagrin. Anyway, so if you were going to run a campaign ad against the kingdom of God, and against the message of Jesus, if you wanted to take some, some contradictions and create confusion, these would be the kind of, kind of statements you'd put side by side. Jesus is quoted as saying, for I did not come to judge the world. And Jesus is also quoted as saying, for judgment I have come into this world. So which is it? Here we are wrestling with and understanding truths about the kingdom of God in this season in our church. And today we need to wrestle with, is the kingdom of God a kingdom of judgment or not? Now, as we do this, I noticed both of these statements you may have noticed are from the gospel of John. And as I started studying these two quotes from chapter 9 and chapter 12, the commentators kept pointing back to something Jesus, uh, that's, that's described in Jesus' ministry earlier in John chapter 3. And that's why, if you've got a hard copy of the Bible or your, your, uh, your digital copy, that's why you should be open to John chapter 3. We're going to walk through some important words that help us understand Jesus and judgment. Listen to these words from John 3, starting in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is God's word. Let's pray together. God, I ask We ask in your mercy and grace that just as Jesus came as the light into darkness, would you shine a light of truth through your word? Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes? Would you help us to see truth and trust Jesus more for your kingdom's glory? And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I would imagine that most of you listening were at least somewhat familiar with John 3.16 maybe arguably the most famous verse in the Bible. But I would also not be surprised if many of you had never heard John 17 to 21. Maybe for some of you, those verses were brand new today. Part of what I want to do is I want us to walk through this passage and help us understand the relationship between Jesus, the kingdom of God, and judgment. So if you're taking notes, we're going to begin with this. The passage shows us very clearly that the king didn't come to condemn. We see very clearly here, unequivocally, that Jesus didn't come for condemnation, but came to earth for the purpose of salvation. I want you to hear verse 17 again. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So to put it another way, Jesus' main message was, was one of saving grace, not judging, judging or condemnation, which is important for us because it should reflect how we, as followers of Jesus, position our message. Makes me think about something that happened just, uh, it's been a few years ago, and it was a Sunday around this time of year. I happened to be preaching that weekend, and I was informed that there were protesters in our parking lot. Now, that was kind of, that's never happened before, hasn't happened since, and I, I wasn't sure what was going on. I thought maybe it was an atheist group or something protesting, and, and I found out, no, it wasn't a group of atheists. This was a uh, kind of extremist group uh, of Christians who were protesting, and they were just, they were picking churches around the area, happened to mostly be larger churches, and they were going at random and, and protesting against those churches. Um, and, and so, like, uh, we got the, the, the draw that day, which I thought, first of all, I, you may not know if you're new. I only preach here at our church maybe a third of the time as our senior teaching pastor. And I'm the one who gets the protesters? Really? Like, just, just bad roll of the dice right there. But I got curious in between services, so I, I walked out and I decided I would listen to what was going on. And I heard that there was an alternative sermon being preached in the parking lot. And uh, the, there was a man out there with, another, with, with part of a group, and he had a bullhorn. He had a sign. If I remember correctly, the sign said, repent or perish. And he was preaching. Really, you could say he was shouting. And his message was one of judgment. His message was one of condemnation. And he was railing against, against our church. Of course, as he was speaking, I realized he knew very little about our church, maybe nothing at all. I later asked him if he could name anyone on our staff, if he could name our preacher, and he couldn't name any names. He had just been sent by this group. And yet he was railing against everyone who was showing up at our church. And he had a lot of things to say, and, uh, and I'll never forget, in the midst of it, he's getting really angry, and, and he says, I'm not going to sugarcoat this for you people. I'm going to give it to you straight. I'm not your sugar pants, pastor. <laughs> so incidentally, after that weekend, my wife had a new nickname for me, but... Um, <laughs> And it's the kind of thing that now like, I can look back and I can laugh. But as I reflected this week, I thought about that moment. And I thought about how stressful that day was. I thought about how embarrassing it was to know that there were people who were parking to come into church. And it was maybe their first time in years, maybe their first time ever. There were people who were showing up that day who were wondering how they would be treated and what people would think of them. It can be an intimidating thing to come to church if you've never come before and you wonder, am I going to fit in? Am I going to be accepted? And that bullhorned yelling message made some of the worst fears for some people that day realized. And unfortunately, that's a version of the Christian faith that part of the world, that's all they've heard. That's all they know. And that gets too much attention in the world. And the challenge is, this man with a bullhorn, he was shouting scripture. Yeah, he he was quoting some verses. A lot of them were out of context. He was saying God's word, but he was not sharing God's heart. He was not reflecting what we see in this passage, that when Jesus came to the world and announced the kingdom, I need you to listen very close right here. Jesus did not come with a bullhorn and a message of judgment. Jesus came on a mission of love. 
That was his main message. It was in his actions. It was in his attitude. It was in his actual words. Again and again and again, Jesus showed compassion and mercy and love. And John 3.16 is so famous because it's so amazing that God so loved the world that he sent the son. Jesus didn't come to judge us. In fact, Jesus came in one sense to bear our judgment We heard about this last week, if you were with us. And if you weren't, I'd encourage you to listen to this message from from the Kingdom Come series that Jesus came to give his life. And we heard that God is for us. And that's displayed in the fact that Jesus took our place on the cross. That there, he, he took our sin, took our shame, and bore the judgment we deserved. Why? So that people wouldn't perish, but would have eternal life. This is where we place our hope. And this should change how we treat everyone around us. See, because the cross reminds us, Jesus coming to give his life reminds me, I was the one who was going to perish and he came to give his life for me. I was the one who deserved condemnation and Jesus took my condemnation to the cross. And Romans 8 actually says that Jesus condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus didn't come to condemn sinners. He came to condemn sin and save sinners like you and like me and like everyone we meet. So here's the thing. It's interesting when when theologians talk about Jesus coming to earth, they use this this term that that Jesus condescended, that this was his way, that this way of, of their way of talking about how Jesus came down to earth. And so to borrow that language, what I would say is Jesus may have condescended, but he was not condescending. And we can't be either. See, we, we may not have bullhorns. We might not have a sign. It might not be blatantly obvious. But in our hearts, the more insular we get used to the Christian community and used to the standards of God's kingdom and God's way, we can interact with the world. And if we're not careful, we can look down our spiritual noses at people. We can look at the people in our workplaces, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, and based on the actions that we see in them, based on the attitudes, based on the inconsistencies, based on the words they speak or the way they treat other people, we can start inwardly to think of them as lesser, to treat them as other. And that's the opposite of how Jesus came, not to bring condemnation, not to judge, not to slight, but instead to speak love and grace and mercy and truth. Yes, Jesus stood up and spoke out about injustice. He was not afraid to do that, but Jesus did not come with the primary purpose of delivering judgment. He came to deliver us from the judgment we deserved. And that's where we place our hope, in him, in his saving work. And that really brings us to the second point of this message, that while Jesus did not come to condemn, we also see in his ministry that judgment is, is based on faith in Jesus. And we see it right here in this passage. I want to make sure you understand something. Jesus never denies the reality of judgment. And Jesus doesn't ignore the possibility of condemnation. Listen again to verse 18, because this is where we can get confused. Whoever believes in him, that's Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. If you're new, this might be the part of the message that most offends you. Whenever I talk with my friends who, are, who aren't believers or who are skeptics, one of the things that you, I often hear 
It's like, man, I, can't, I just can't believe in the idea that, that only Jesus, Jesus is the only Savior. He's the only way to God. Whenever I hear that, I, I, as somebody who believes in Jesus, who trusts in his ministry and in, in God's word, these are the verses that I come back to. Places where Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Places that say there's only one name by which humanity can be saved. And that's the name of Jesus. Even right here, in this famous verse, John 3, 16, and here in verse 18, Jesus is identified, note this, as God's only son. So we believe there's only one savior. There is only one who is perfectly paid for our sin, who has gone to the cross, who has risen from the grave. There is only one son of God, and it's Jesus. And that's why we proclaim him. That's why we cling to our faith in him. But if you're new, I don't blame you if you listen to this and if these are the first times you're hearing these words, you're like, hold on. It sure sounds like Jesus did bring condemnation because he's saying, if you don't believe, I condemn you. Now, again, if this is your first time hearing these words, I don't, I don't blame you if that's your first reading. I'd just like to show you another angle on how to interpret this passage. See, Jesus uses the words condemned already. He doesn't say, if you don't believe, I condemn you. He says, if you don't believe, you are condemned already already. Now, I'm going to argue that is really, really important to make sure we understand and to make sure there's clarity and not confusion. So to help kind of help clarify this, I want to use uh, the fact that I'm on a busted foot. Um, I broke my foot a month ago playing basketball. And if you're keeping score, yes, I did break my foot right before my second child came into the world. Uh, My wife is officially a saint now. She's amazing. You can pray for her. Uh, But I broke my foot and it was about a week later that I was in a doctor's office actually getting the diagnosis confirmed. And the doctor who was also a surgeon is walking me through, here's what we're going to do to to get you back on your feet. And here's the surgery that's going to be required. Now just imagine for a moment, if I'd gone to that meeting, heard the diagnosis, heard the, the, the surgeon's game plan for how to get me healthy again, and I left angry. And I got home, my wife said, hey, how'd the, how'd the, how'd the appointment go? I said, it went, went terrible. In fact, I need, I need a lawyer. I'm going to sue this guy for malpractice. And she asked, what's the matter? And imagine if I said, he broke my foot. It's absurd, right? It's ridiculous. When the doctor said, your foot is broken, he didn't break my foot. I showed up, my foot was broken already. I need you to listen really, really closely. The crux of the matter is that in our sin, we are fractured. We are broken. And Jesus has come into the world to offer the only healing that will last. Jesus comes offering salvation and hope, and we are condemned already. The world is already broken in sin. We have already rebelled against God. And so if you don't believe in Jesus, if you, if you don't believe the message of the gospel, you're not suddenly declared sinful. You and I are sinful already. We're already in the brokenness and the pain and the systemic injustice and corruption and evil of sin. And so Jesus came not just to diagnose, he came to bring a cure. He didn't cause the disease. Instead, he comes to heal us, to redeem us, to save us. But that hinges on how do you respond to Jesus? Jesus is, therefore, the the line in the sand. You could say that Jesus is the kingdom's litmus test. What are you going to do with him? 
And how you decide, verse 18 shows us, will bear out a judgment. This is why in John 9, Jesus says, for judgment, I've come into the, to the world. I want to show you, I want to just help you hear the context of, of that statement. Happens when Jesus heals a blind man. And there's a debate between the religious leaders of whether or not Jesus did this miraculously through the power of God or how all of this happened. There's this big debate. Eventually, the religious leaders are not happy with the blind man's testimony. And so they cast him out, which is language that shows they're kind of banishing him from the synagogue, from their religious community. And at that moment, Jesus, in compassion and mercy, goes and finds the, the man who was once blind, begins to talk to him. And Jesus reveals himself as God's only son to this man. And in that moment, the man who had experienced Jesus' healing power, now he has to wrestle with who is the person of Jesus. But after hearing that Jesus claims that he's God's son, this is how the man responds. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. This is one response to Jesus. To say, I believe, and so we worship him. We lift him up as savior. That's why we gather together. That's why we sing these songs. That's why we declare these truths. But right after, right after the man says this, this is what Jesus says. For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. I want you to notice, Jesus here is helping us see the religious leaders have seen Jesus working in power and yet they are blind to the truth of who he is and that will bear out one judgment. The blind man is healed and he puts his faith in Jesus and that will bear out another. See, Jesus doesn't come speaking judgment, but just by coming, he causes people to decide what they believe about him and that results in judgment. It's not his main message. He came to save. But if you refuse what he has to offer, then you remain unsaved. And so as we come to the the third point of this message, what I want us to wrestle with is something Jesus says very clearly throughout his ministry. And in John 3, it's described like this. Whoever rejects the light remains in darkness. Jesus doesn't use a broken limb as his metaphor. He uses this picture of light and darkness to describe how he has come into the world to bring hope and healing and salvation. John 3, verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. According to this passage... There's a lot of reasons people say that they reject the idea of God or they reject Jesus. But according to this passage, it's not merely an intellectual argument. It's not just a philosophical debate. It's not just a logical conclusion. We have a sovereignty issue that when light comes into the world, there are many who want their way, who want their kingdom, who want their works. And so they flee into the darkness and reject the light. Because to come into the light, as we began this series weeks ago, is to submit to God's kingdom, to his sovereignty, to how things will be done in the kingdom of light. And Jesus uses this metaphor also in John 12, which is what we quoted as the contradiction at the beginning of the message. Listen to what he says there. I have come into the world as a light 
so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. I'll just level with you. Earlier in my ministry, these are the kind of verses I just wanted to stay away from. Judgment is a word that makes most of us uncomfortable. And as I've studied, I've seen more and more, Jesus is not afraid to talk about this. But here's what's been interesting. The more that I study, the more that I submit to what Jesus teaches and what he says about judgment, I have not grown more comfortable. I have grown more uncomfortable with a burden for the people around me who are far from Christ. More uncomfortable with the tragedy of light coming into the world and people rejecting it and refusing it. More uncomfortable with people seeing a perverted version of the Christian faith that judges and condemns and so they turn their backs and don't realize that's not Jesus' main message he came to save. This is why as a church I'm so glad that we support missions efforts all around the world. That we send out missionaries and church plants. That we even invest in our own ability to reach out to our neighborhoods and our communities through the Courage campaign. This is why I'm grateful that we sacrificially give so that people would know that there is a light that brings hope. That God loves them. That God cares for them. If you are listening to my voice right now, God loves you and sent Jesus as a light to bring you out of darkness so that you could have hope. We don't want... We don't want anybody to arrive at Judgment Day. And man, I'll just level with you. I, I don't want this to come off as a guilt trip or as a scare tactic. And I'm afraid that it will, but I will not ignore the words of my Savior. Jesus assumes there will be a day when all the world will have an account before God as the judge. And what we believe is that apart from faith in Jesus no one will be able to bear standing up under that judgment. Nobody will be able to say, I did enough good, I served you enough, I obeyed enough, and I was pure enough. No one will be able to do that. And no one will be able to explain or excuse their sins and rejection of God. On either side, we will not stand up under judgment. Only Only by clinging to faith in Jesus, in his saving work, in his death, burial, and resurrection. Only through that will we be welcomed into the eternal kingdom of light. And this is the message we have to continue sharing in love, in mercy, in truth. Not as those who are better because we're saved, but as those who are desperate for others to be saved. Because we love them as God loves them. Sort of help wrap up this message and and try to make it as clear as possible. I just, I want to immerse ourselves for a moment in the metaphor Jesus uses of light and darkness. So at our campuses, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to cut the lights. As as dark as we're allowed to go, we're going to go that dark. And I know that uh, if you're live with us, really it's it's not pitch black in here. They were explained to me for insurance purposes. We can't go totally dark. Got to keep those exit signs up. And yet Jesus was teaching and living during a day when, man, there were no exit signs, there were no floor lights, there were no screens. And in the dead of night, 
inside a house, if you didn't have a lantern or a candle, it's pitch black. Your eyes wouldn't be able to adjust the way that they are right now. And imagine if in that, in complete darkness, if we could get these rooms as dark as we could, then imagine if all of us stood up and tried to leave. That'd be chaos. People bumping into each other, tripping over each other, getting frustrated. And on a much grander scale, this is how Jesus describes our world. Living in darkness, in chaos. And even if you're not a Christian, I don't need to convince you that the world is full of pain and brokenness. That there is darkness, that there is corruption, that there is evil, that there is abuse, that there is violence, that there is addiction. That there are unspeakable tragedies that continue to take place. Unspeakable injustice that continues to perpetuate. I don't need to convince you of these things. But God looked on a world that generation after generation only knew darkness. And in his mercy and grace, God said it would not remain that way. This is the love of our Savior. Because I have seen what darkness does to men. Darkness has often been a breeding ground for sin, a cultivator of disobedience, a deceitful shelter from divine judgment. Looking back, history repeats the pitch black attacks of violence and oppression, tragedy and transgression, anxiety and depression. Oh, I have seen what darkness does to men. But when the kingdom came, Jesus proclaimed, that's not how your story has to end. Jesus meets us in our blindness and gives us spiritual sight. Because you weren't made for the dark. You were made for the light. Jesus speaks truth like sparks that cause our hearts to ignite. Because you weren't made for the dark. You were made for the light. Jesus exposes the shadows of our souls and teaches us what's right. Because you weren't made for the dark. You were made for the light. And you were made to know a father who loves you and a son who came to save. A spirit who comforts and ignites the light of faith. So we raise the torch of truth, shouting what the scriptures say. The light shines in the dark and the darkness has not overcome it. The cross was the price of our lives and Jesus did not run from it because there will come a day when he will judge our sinful ways and our only saving grace will be his name, the name of Jesus Christ who came not to judge but to give eternal life because you weren't made for the dark. You were made for the light. Amen. Pray with me. Oh, Jesus, we praise you. We thank you. Father, we are overwhelmed by your love that you have displayed through Jesus. That you sent light into our darkness. That you brought hope and healing. That you announced a kingdom where things could change. Where you could transform us. Where you could remake us. Thank you. I pray for those who are listening who have yet to declare, Lord, I believe. 
They've been working through and wondering what do they believe about Jesus. I pray that today they would choose to come to the light. That they would say, Lord, I believe. That they would worship you. That they would be baptized in your name. And God, I pray for those who already believe. Would you take this word and renew in us a burden for people around us who are still in darkness? Would you help us to have a posture, an attitude of love and mercy, just like Jesus did? And would you help us to share this hope with the world? Lead us and guide us. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.